the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick, and I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. And welcome back to another Friday episode. This means another installment of episodes that we've produced exclusively for our Heavy Metal Project initiative. And today we're continuing to honor the lives of the victims connected to the unsolved case of the Long Island serial killer. If you're new here and you don't know who the Long Island serial killer is, that's okay. You can go back and listen to our in-depth three-part series on the list case. And then, of course, you can return to this episode and everything will make way more sense. Right, for sure, because our three-part initiative series explains how Lisk targeted sex workers. Actually, a lot of serial killers do. And that, among other dangerous factors, makes sex work one of the most dangerous jobs in the United States. So we're trying to help by collaborating with jewelry brand Jimmy Toast. And Jimmy Toast's creator, Jamie, is a friend of mine. We're both from Long Island. She's passionate about this case as well. And now, together, all of us, We're creating the heavy metal awareness and fundraising campaign that will help sex workers across the nation. And for the heavy metal campaign, Jamie has designed and created 10 unique limited edition necklaces. They're awesome. They're so, they're literally one of a kind. They're really pretty. Yeah, so pretty. And each necklace is inspired by and in honor of the Long Island serial killers victims. And they're available for purchase at theheavymetalproject.com and on our website, jimmytoast.com. 100% of the net profits will be donated to the Sex Workers Outreach Project, also known as SWAP. It's a nonprofit dedicated to the fundamental rights of people in the sex trade. Right. And just highlighting, Jamie from Jimmy Toast is doing this for free. We're doing this for free. All the money made here is going straight to SWAP. And again, heavymetalproject.com to learn more about what we're doing, the necklaces, and how you can help supporting the fight for sex workers' human rights. Okay. Now that all of that is out of the way, we're ready to dive into the important stuff. So today, we're discussing and showcasing the beloved and dearly missed Amberlynn Costello. In February of 2010, 27-year-old Amber Lynn Costello boarded a plane from Florida to Long Island, New York. She'd recently divorced her second husband after 15 months of marriage, and she was struggling with substance abuse. But Amber had a very loving family and a strong support system, and they weren't going to let her fall by the wayside. Right. Amber was kind. She was generous, and she was a thoughtful person. She loved her friends and family deeply, and she would do literally anything for them. At one point, she gave a friend of hers almost $4,000 for their bail bond. And those who knew Amber described her as a good friend and a great sister. So when Amber's older sister realized that Amber needed help, she was happy to lend a hand. Amber's sister connected Amber to a friend that she'd known for several years, 34-year-old Dave Shaler. And Dave was a pretty well-off guy. He worked as a commercial fisherman and owned part of a used car dealership. When he heard that his friend's sister Amber needed help, Dave really jumped at the opportunity to help her. He'd spoken to Amber a few times on the phone and really took a liking to her. And so Dave paid for Amber's plane ticket to Long Island so Amber could get a fresh start in the Big Apple. And a few weeks after Amber arrived at Dave's home in West Babylon, Suffolk County on Long Island, Dave helped Amber get checked into a detox center. After that, Amber went to a 28-day drug rehab program at St. Charles Hospital in Port Jefferson. 
And that's where Amber met her new boyfriend, Bjorn Brodsky. He mostly went by the English translation of his name, though, which would be Bear. So Bear Brodsky is his name. So Bear spent a lot of time at Amber and Dave's place. And so Bear, Amber, and Dave became this kind of little trio of buds. It's kind of like how me, Jared, and Alexis are. Pretty much. Before Matt came along. (laughs) Exactly. So they were watching movies, grabbing food together, and just kind of doing everything together. And Amber's sister would drop by fairly frequently as well. And they kind of created their own small little family. It was around this time that Amber started getting into sex work. And it wasn't the first time in her life that she'd been involved in the field. And with Dave and Bear there to ensure some level of safety, it seemed like a decently safe situation. The men agreed to help, but refused to use the word pimps in regard to their role in this. Instead, Dave and Bear thought of themselves as bodyguards. So clients would come see Amber at predetermined locations. And during Amber's time with those clients, Dave or Bear would be in the next room over. If there were any problems with the Johns, Dave or Bear would forcibly remove them. And the setup seemed to work really well. For a while, Amber was making about $7,000 a week, and she'd give half of that to her new bodyguards. But after a while, Bear fell into a heroin addiction. And then Dave did as well. And so did Amber. Around this time, Amber's sister was away helping her father who had lung cancer. After all of that happened, their smooth-running sex work operation kind of fell apart, and Amber began seeing clients on outcalls, sometimes going by herself. And that's where Amber's life was at on September 2nd of 2010, when she posted an ad for sex work on Craigslist and similar other websites. That day, she spoke to a potential client on the phone multiple times. And apparently, this client offered Amber $1,500 for one night, which is a lot of money. So Amber talked to Dave, who she still lived with, and she let him know that she was going to this sex work appointment. According to Dave's interview with CBS's 48 Hours, Dave told Amber to be safe He gave Amber a hug and a kiss, and then she left at about 10.20 p.m. without her purse or her cell phone or telling Dave the specific location. And normally, Amber would have never done that, but this high-paying client had specifically requested it. Amber's parting words to Dave were, according to Newsday, if my sister calls, tell her I love her. Amber met the client in their car, which was parked around the corner from where Amber and Dave lived, and then no one ever saw 27-year-old Amber Lynn Costello ever again not until three months later, on December 13th of 2010. That's when police found her remains beside Ocean Parkway near Gilgo Beach, only 10 miles away from her home with Dave. Amber was identified as one of the Gilgo Four, and they were the first discovered victims connected to the Long Island serial killer. So where did Amber go on September 2nd of 2010? Who did she meet? Did she know them? Is that why she was willing to jeopardize her safety at their request? How else could they have convinced her to throw aside every safety precaution that she carefully curated over all of these years? To answer these questions, you know the drill. We gotta go back. Amberlyn Overstreet was born on February 10th of 1983 in Pennsylvania. And even though Amber moved around some during her childhood years, she primarily grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina. Most of her family lived there because that's where Amber's dad was from. As a child and young woman, Amber was described as a genuine and sensitive person. She was full of curiosity and wonder, and her family loved her for it. The Overstreet family had some good times, chock full of love and laughter. But unfortunately, Amber also experienced serious trauma as a child. When she was five years old, she was sexually assaulted by a 26-year-old male neighbor. And there are honestly and obviously are no words for how awful that experience must have affected Amber and the rest of her life. 
Although there are rumors of Amber's family seeking out the rapist and forcing him to face consequences for hurting Amber, no charges were ever officially filed. And as a result of this horrific event, Amber's family moved. From our research, it seems like they stayed in Williamton for a bit, and then at some point they went to Florida, but ultimately they returned to North Carolina. It's pretty awful. And those events that are so traumatic have lifelong implications, obviously. So when Amber was a little older, her parents began having severe medical issues, and she and her sister were left to figure out how to deal with these ever-growing medical bills. Amber's sister, who was six years older than she was, began doing some administrative work for a company. And that company offered services where young women danced topless for individuals at private parties. The company Amber's sister worked for didn't officially condone sex work, but unofficially, and if they didn't quote-unquote know about it, they would turn a blind eye and all bets were off. Amber eventually joined that same company as a dancer in her teens, and that's how she helped out with the bills, which continued to mount. It's also how she started getting into sex work and drugs. Amber didn't graduate high school. Instead, she joined an escort agency for a while. So I want to underscore how stressful this concept of mounting medical bills for your family and that pressure that these young women must have felt to help. Like it literally is life or death. And if you don't have money to pay for medical expenses for your parents, it's, it's a nightmare, you know, that's terrifying. And you're going to do whatever it takes to find the money to do that. And that's what ultimately these really good daughters did. This is a kind of pressure that would be persistent and really gnawing and undoubtedly take a toll. Either way, at this point in her life, Amber reportedly went through some ups and downs Sometimes she battled a drug addiction. Other times, everything seemed to be going really well and seemed to be going Amber's way. And throughout her life, Amber was always a fairly religious person. So she frequently leaned on her Christian faith for support and guidance. And for a while, she even lived with her church pastor's family. And while there, things seemed to be going really well for Amber. And then in the early 2000s, Amber married a man that was 10 years older than her. His name was Michael Wilhelm, and he was from Kannapolis, North Carolina. But they divorced when Amber's drug addiction resurfaced, and then Amber married again in 2007, this time to a man named Don Costello. They talked a lot about having kids and even started to adopt a little boy. But unfortunately, that relationship fell apart as well. And in March of 2009, Amber and Don divorced. That's when Amber moved in with her sister, Dave, and met her boyfriend, Bear. And you know what happened from there. When Amber disappeared, no one reported her missing. Amber's sister, who was in North Carolina helping their dad with his lung cancer, was under the impression that Amber was in rehab recovering from her drug addiction, but that's not where she was. So when Amber's body was found three months later on Gilgo Beach, her sister was floored. She told Newsday, when Amber's soul left this earth, mine shattered. I'm trying to pick up the pieces. And she also relayed that Amber didn't like doing sex work. In fact, Amber really wanted to get out, which makes sense. On multiple occasions, clients had hurt Amber. Right. One client had punched Amber three times and left her on the side of the road. And Amber was even the focus of a hypothetical revenge plot that was organized on a sex work website. A user with the name Humiliatrix69, quote, felt ripped off by Amber after hiring her. That user then tried to get other people to find Amber and somehow physically hurt her. Humiliatrix doxed Amber and put her address, physical description, and phone number online. And another user said they were going to her house armed with baseball bats. So this is fucking disgusting. And shortly after these messages were posted in September of 2010, 
Amber disappeared. This online revenge plot likely isn't linked to the Long Island serial killer, but regardless, the people who did this to her are cruel, disgusting, hate women. I could go on and on, and I'm sure it was horrible and stressful for Amber to go through. Undoubtedly, and even though all of these bad experiences had Amber emotionally ready to exit sex work, her drug addiction made it nearly impossible. She needed the kind of money that sex work provided to keep herself out of withdrawal. Amber's sister told reporters she was fighting a game that she just couldn't win. If you have any information about Amber or the Long Island serial killer, please contact the Suffolk County Crime Stoppers at 1-800-220-TIPS. There's a $50,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest. And of course, don't forget to go to theheavymetalproject.com where you can buy a handcrafted necklace to support sex workers' rights. And we've still got a few more of these Friday episodes coming down the pipeline. So make sure to keep listening to them. They're important. We're really passionate about this. And until this case is solved, it's going to take things like this, keeping these women's names in the spotlight where they deserve to be. Right. 